there's a new class of blockbuster drugs. Drugs like Ozempic. They're changing bodies. And all of a sudden, just the weight starts falling off. Fortunes. It just got too expensive. They're just bank breakers. And industries. There was a lot of excitement. There was a lot of skepticism. The impact of these drugs from business to health is just beginning. From the journal, Trillion Dollar Shot. Find it in the journal feed wherever you get your podcasts. Today is Thursday, October 29th, 2020. On this day in 1901, Leon Shalgosh was put to death for shooting President William McKinley. Welcome to Today in True Crime, a Spotify original from Parcast. Due to the graphic nature of today's story, listener discretion is advised. Extreme caution is advised for listeners under 13. Today we're discussing Leon Shalgosh, President McKinley's assassin. Now let's go back to the pre-dawn hours of October 29, 1901, at the State Prison in Auburn, New York. Twenty-eight-year-old Leon Shalgosh slept quietly in his isolated cell. He knew he only had a few hours left, and he was intent on enjoying them. But at 5 a.m., his rest was interrupted. The prison guards flicked on the lights. It was time to wake up and prepare for death. The young man stared down his guards, annoyed, and requested to speak with the superintendent. On another day, perhaps they would have laughed and ignored him, but today was different. The guards nodded and left. Fifteen minutes later, they returned. In the meantime, they asked Shalgosh to get dressed. They handed him gray pants and a shirt. Both were specially made to allow electric diodes to be placed on the body. As Superintendent Collins slowly made his way from his office toward Shalgosh's cell, he thought back on the whirlwind of the last few weeks. 53 days earlier, news had spread of an assassination attempt on President McKinley at the Pan American Expo in Buffalo, New York. During a meet and greet with the public on September 6th, a young man had pulled out a gun and shot McKinley twice before being subdued by security. In the following days, it seemed like McKinley was going to make a full recovery, but he developed a gangrene infection in his abdomen. The president died eight days after the attack at the age of 58. Within the day, his vice president, Theodore Roosevelt, was sworn in as the 26th president of the United States. Collins, along with nearly every other American, paid close attention to Shalgosh's trial. Those who knew the shooter painted him as a radical loner who sympathized with anarchists. Shalgosh admitted those sympathies to the court himself. He said that he was inspired by a speech given by famed anarchist Emma Goldman in Cleveland that May. The message of government failure clicked for him. He was the son of Polish immigrants and had been forced to work in factories as a teenager to help his family survive. Then in 1893, the economy collapsed. 
Shawgosh glimpsed what he saw as a failed American dream. Something had to change. So he decided to do something about it. It wasn't hard for the court to make their judgment, especially considering how many eyewitnesses had watched the young anarchist strike. Shawgosh was sentenced to death. He was then transported to the state prison in Auburn, where he was placed under the care of Superintendent Collins. When Collins finally reached the cell, he looked curiously at the 28-year-old dressed in his new gray outfit. Shawgosh didn't seem nervous. He appeared determined. The assassin asked to make a statement in front of a large audience. Collins denied the request. He had no intention of giving this killer any more celebrity. But if Shawgosh had anything to say, he could say it here and now to Collins. Silence. So be it. Collins checked his watch and left. It was shortly after 5.30. Moments later, guards arrived with Shalgosh's final meal, a full breakfast of coffee, toast, eggs, and bacon. Shalgosh dug in, still silent. Besides his short conversation with Collins, he hadn't said much to anyone since his brother Valdek left the night before. Valdek had pleaded with his brother to ask for forgiveness from a priest, but Shalgosh said he found no solace in religion. He felt the same thing for it that he felt for the government, contempt. What was done was done. He wouldn't plead to anybody for forgiveness, much less God. Around 7.10, the guards unlocked Shalgosh's cell and dragged him by the arm down several dark corridors into a small room. On one side of the room sat about a dozen or so witnesses, on the other, a hard wooden chair. As he was being seated, he stared out towards the witnesses and calmly stated, I killed the president because he was an enemy of the good people, the working people. I'm not sorry for my crimes. At 7.12 a.m., Shalgosh was strapped in the chair and the signal was given to flip the switch. Seconds later, 1,700 volts of electricity coursed through the assassin. His body leapt from the chair and the arm straps strained. His body tensed up for a total of 45 seconds before the electrician shut off the flow of electricity. And at 7.17, physicians pronounced Leon Shalgosh dead. Up next, Shalgosh's legacy. Listeners, here's a new show I can't wait for you to check out. When it comes to love, every story is unique. Some play out like fairy tales, seemingly meant to be. Others defy the odds to achieve happily ever after. In Our Love Story, the newest Spotify original from Parcast, you'll discover the many pathways to love, as told by the actual couples who found them. Every Tuesday, Our Love Story celebrates the ups, downs, and pivotal moments that turn complete strangers into perfect pairs. Each episode offers an intimate glimpse inside a real-life romance, with couples recounting the highlights and hardships that define their love. 
Whether it's a chance encounter, a former friendship, or even a former enemy, our love story proves that love can begin and blossom in the most unexpected ways. Follow Our Love Story free on Spotify or wherever you listen to podcasts. Now back to the story. On October 29, 1901, presidential assassin Leon Shalgosh was executed via the electric chair. Immediately after Shalgosh's death, authorities performed an autopsy on his body. They were curious to see if there was some biological reason that would explain why Shalgosh killed President McKinley. The autopsy, however, didn't lead to any conclusive answers. The physicians found a perfectly intact brain. The rest of the body appeared relatively healthy. Meanwhile, Valdek, Shalgosh's brother, inquired about when he and his family could claim the body. They needed to make arrangements for Shalgosh's burial. But the warden gave Valdek a surprising and distressing answer. The body wasn't being turned over. Instead, the prison was going to handle the burial. What the warden didn't tell Valdek was the reason for this. Authorities were worried that if Shalgosh had a public funeral and burial spot, he might be turned into a martyr and hero for other anarchists. So they looked into ways to make sure that he disappeared forever. First, they considered using quicklime to dissolve his body, but after some tinkering, they realized that it would take far too long. So they turned their attention towards the more powerful sulfuric acid. Once the body was placed in an unmarked plot at the prison facility, the prison staff poured the acid into the coffin. The acid was said to have dissolved the body within 12 hours. Despite this gruesome act, authorities weren't entirely sure they'd successfully eradicated the Shalgosh problem. The government wanted to make sure that the assassin had acted alone, so they arrested Emma Goldman and held her in custody for a few weeks. But ultimately, there was no evidence that she had coordinated with Shalgosh, and she was released. In fact, no anarchist seemed to have any connection with Shalgosh. Some admitted that he approached them, but insisted they turned him away. They said he was over-eager, and many believed he was a spy. In the end, authorities had to settle on the fact that President McKinley was killed by a lone wolf, who only succeeded because of lax presidential security. And after all, McKinley was the third sitting president to be assassinated in 50 years. To counteract this, the Secret Service, which had been around since 1865, was then tasked with keeping future presidents safe. Since 1901, they've continued to guard the presidency by accompanying motorcades, watching over diplomatic meetings, and coordinating security at speaking events. In their presence, the legacy of Shalgosh lives on, if not exactly the way he might have hoped. Thanks for listening to Today in True Crime. I'm Vanessa Richardson. For more stories about dramatic, explosive political conflict, check out Political Scandals. 
Today in True Crime is a Spotify original from Parcast. You can find more episodes of Today in True Crime and all other Spotify originals from Parcast for free on Spotify. We'll be back with a brand new episode tomorrow in True Crime. Today in True Crime is a Spotify original from Parcast. It is executive produced by Max Cutler, sound designed by Juan Borda, with production assistance by Ron Shapiro, Carly Madden, and Joshua Kern. This episode of Today in True Crime was written by Robert Tyler Walker, with writing assistance by Nora Battelle. I'm Vanessa Richardson. Don't forget to check out Our Love Story, the newest Spotify original from Parcast. Every Tuesday, discover the many pathways to love, as told by the actual couples who found them. Listen to Our Love Story, free on Spotify or wherever you get your podcasts.